Welcome to this amazing, mind-blowing podcast. Live from Wellington right now, in the Beehive, no doubt, or the, or the Parliament building. Uh, James Shaw, co-leader of the Green Party. Good morning to you, James. Good morning. How are we today? Yeah, good, thank you. It's a very odd time here, I have to say, because we're sort of playing in overtime. Yes. Um, because of a extension to the um, uh, parliamentary term because of the deferral of the election um, but at the same time you know the only business that's going on of course is managing the current outbreak so it's it's produced quite a sort of a strange environment to be working in. Indeed I guess one of the good things for you though is you live in Wellington Yeah I do um, and, and actually it's, it is good that we have MPs who are based here uh, because it means you know obviously our Auckland based MPs We've said, look, you can't travel. You need to observe the same rules that the rest of Auckland is. Yeah. Um, and, and we're trying to apply the uh, kind of precautionary principle as much as possible. So there's uh, three of us here who are, who are kind of covering things for the team. Nice, nice. All right, I want to talk a little bit about your tertiary education um, policy. Um, James, first off, though, can you tell me what the main aim of the tertiary education, of the tertiary education sector should be? What is the main aim of tertiary education providers? Well, I, I think, and the, and the Greens have always said that the, um, the primary purpose here uh, is to really set people up for the rest of their lives. Um, and so obviously that includes uh, vocational education and training, but it's not limited to that, um, you know, because this is really the point that people transition, uh, you know, sort of out into, uh, out into the world, for, you know. Um, and so that, that is, I guess that's the most important, um, the most important thing. Our view is that successive governments have actually devalued uh, education and the kind of contribution to the diversity and the vibrancy of our communities, um, and have become really focused on kind of cranking the money machine. Mm, yeah, because when did students become a number, an amount on an accountant's <laughs> spreadsheet? Well, I'm trying to remember the exact date. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, well. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I know I'm aging myself here, but um, when I was at university, my first semester was the last semester where you didn't pay fees. Yeah. Um, and and then my next semester, it was a considerably more expensive proposition uh, to go to university. And so, you know, that, that kind of at the start of the 90s was, I think, really when education became a lot more commodified. Um, and uh, you know, treated much more as a as a as a business. Can we reverse that mentality though? That corporate mentality that now exists, um, you know, in vice chancellors' offices and, and other parts and universities, in New Zealand. Well, I think anything that we created, we can recreate, right? I mean, that that was just something that we made our minds up uh, about as a country um, back in back in the late eighties and early nineties, um, and I think that. You know, there is certainly a way um, that we can uh, restore that uh, that notion of um, you know public tertiary education and the role that it has in our kind of the fabric of our wider society. Um, I think that that would require, though, um, you know, a bit of a rethink about how we pay for it and what we pay for and so on. Because, of course. Uh, you know, we've seen a, a massive uptake in, in tertiary education um, and the cost of that has risen over time. And so, you know, we've sought to 
as a country to supplement uh, the sort of taxpayer contribution um, with fees from students and international students in particular. Um, I think that, I mean, I think Otago is probably the one university that didn't become overly reliant on international student income. Um, and, and the current COVID crisis has sort of shown into stark relief uh, the vulnerability of a strategy for uh, tertiary institutions. I mean, I'm not just talking universities here as well, right, but also, you know, the politics and so on, um, where they've, they've sort of come to rely on mm. uh, the, the international student component in well, order to create a viable public education component. Well, it depends on what department you're talking about down here, to be honest. If, um, right. Dentistry, medical certainly do rely. Uh, and, and in fact, they actively um, recruit students from overseas um, at a number that is det- detrimental um, to the outcome for for New Zealanders, um, especially in dentistry. You'll find a large percentage of the students in dentistry here at Otago are from overseas, and they leave, and we lose those skills as well. Uh, and, and you know, they're taking up uh, places where of students that would have stayed, will uh, live here, and would have done the the job here in New Zealand. And now we're lacking uh, in the amount of dentists and doctors we have in the country. Anyway, um, one of the reasons that Dunedin's overall rent is so high is that a large part of the city is an investor's dream. Young adults, um, you know, could care less at times about the amount of rent they pay. Location, location, location is important for students. Uh, and, and with that, you know, landlords can charge a phenomenal rate. Uh, and, and that has a trickle-on effect to the rest of the city, um, which, you know, it's, it's kind of like the Wild West out there. You want to reform student accommodation sector. Is, does that include um, flats, or is that just for um, hall of residence? Uh, well, the idea is to uh, reform the student accommodation sector as a whole in order to ensure that students get a fair deal, right? That's yeah. the principle that you want to um, operate off. Uh I mean, I know that there's clearly been a bit of noise about the halls of residence um, because of, you know, some um, pretty horrendous, um, you know, examples, uh, both in terms of the duty of care uh, Mm -hmm. that some of the um, private organisations have have exercised or rather have not exercised. Um, But uh, if if the principle that we're trying to say is here, actually, we want to make sure that students are able to afford to continue to go to university um, and aren't so distracted by the need to generate an income that they can't actually study, then you've got to take a look at uh, at flats as well and sort of see that as an integrated ecosystem. Um, we've seen uh, an almost seamless shift to distance learning during COVID. It's been pretty good all round, to be honest. Um, and distance learning has been something that the disabled community has been crying out for for a very long time. And it's always kind of been put in the too hard basket, too hard to implement. Um, but we've seen during COVID that, um, to be honest, it wasn't that hard. Um, how do you... You know, see us. Well, what are your thoughts about maintaining that service and expanding on it? You know, in terms of having access to the library online for disabled students. And, yeah, look, and I, like I mean, I've got to tell you, I think I don't think that that experience has been universal across the country. Uh, you know, not not every institution you could describe that as as having been a seamless experience. But um, for sure, uh, what the um, that original level four lockdown around the country did was kind of, in, you know, force us as a country 
to get up to speed on some technologies that have actually been around and in sort of patchy use for some time. Um, and in some ways, it sort of, you know, leveled the playing field by saying, well, actually, if everybody is now in the position of having to do this, and therefore you've got to resource it. And I think, you know, you're right. What we now need to do is, is to maintain that and, and to improve on it. And I think that there is there is a lot of room for improvement. I mean, one of the things that the Greens have said is that we, that we want to provide targeted funding for, for tertiary institutions to um, support uh, students with disabilities, providing disability learning support services, improving... Um, you know, the staff-to-student ratios, library resources, staff retention, all of those kinds of things. Um, and, and some places are doing a, a better job of, of this than others, mm-hmm. uh, and we just want to make sure that, you know, that, that kind of we get everybody up to scratch and then, as you say, uh, on the assumption that we eventually beat COVID and things kind of normalise, uh, that we don't then slip back into a situation where um, disabled students are kind of disadvantaged by the fact that you know that our institution's attention is kind of focused on the more able-bodied majority. Yeah, I mean, I guess staff hours will be the big concern there because, you know, they've been able to do this because they weren't having students in class. They weren't having their normal lecture time, so they were having the time to be able to implement these things to get uh, home learning going. Um, so I, I guess that's going to be one big factor. Um, now... Yesterday it was released that um, you have given a seventeen, uh, sorry, eleven point seven million dollar grant to a green school uh, in Taranaki, uh, a private school, uh, and that goes against uh, your opposition to state funding for private schools. Um, how many private projects have been granted funding from the COVID nineteen response and recovery fund? Uh, well, to tell you the truth, it's quite a number. Um, so there are, um, you know, we've funded things like. Um, the Hitting Energy uh, uh, Hydrogen Refueling Network, for example. Um, and, and there are a number of um, projects uh, around the country um, that are um, private enterprises that, that qualified for funding un, under, the, under the Infrastructure Reference Group's terms of reference. Um, and so th- what we're doing here is funding a essentially a construction project in the Taranaki, um, which will create about 200 jobs. There is, of course, in the Taranaki a need to find new sources of um, offshore revenue to replace the oil and gas uh, revenue that will be fading out over time. Um, and so there is a bit of a trade-off there to say, well, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, that $3 billion of the infrastructure fund is designed to ensure that we are stimulating the economy through the um, kind of COVID downturn if you like and in particular um, that that three billion dollars um, is oriented towards uh, construction and infrastructure projects which are quite jobs intensive mm-hmm. um, and so as a construction project this one was actually rated quite highly in the Taranaki region by the um, infrastructure reference group because it is quite jobs intensive had a big economic multiplier and the local council and the mayor were very keen on it um, and so um, you know, it sort of it, it, it kind of got thrown that on that on those grounds rather than because it happened to be a to be a school. There, I mean, there is an enormous array of projects that that fund is going towards. It's funding swimming pools and courthouses, fire stations. You know, um, roundabouts. I mean, you name it. Yeah. 
there's a there's a significant diversity of projects that that fund is going towards. Uh, but does this set a precedent now? I mean, will you have to do the same thing if any private school can no. show that? No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, the the, the, the three billion dollar, you know, this was a shovel ready project thing that said, look, we 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 have a very short term need to pump money into the economy. Yeah. Um, uh, and one of the ways to do that is via infrastructure spend. Um, the, the, the phrase shovel ready, of course, has been used so often it's become meaningless. But the point was to say was what do we know around the country that's already in a fairly advanced state that could get up and running quite quickly um, if, if there was a cash injection and make sure that um, you know we're continuing to employ people and to circulate money through the economy. So it was a very time-limited offer. It is not coming out of the out of the education uh, budget. Yeah. You know, there's an that's an, it's an entirely separate budget from from the education budget, and we were really clear about that. We are putting, like I think we topped up the um, the public schools uh, maintenance and construction fund by by an additional four hundred million, and you know, um, Chris Hipkins is pushing that money out the door about as fast as is humanly possible. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, there's often a delay between what the government says it wants to do and when it actually oh, happens. But if the whole point here is to get money circulating by ensuring that there are these construction projects going on, then, um, you, you know, you, you really do need to push quite quite hard to make sure that those projects don't end up in sort of two years' worth of, you know, bureaucracy before they actually get built. What I was saying, but, I mean, if there is a school that shows the same benefit and say, like, it's a Destiny Church school, for example... Shows the exact same benefits. It's going to employ this amount of people. You would have to do it now. No, we wouldn't, because because that that um, funding has been allocated. So that that was a three billion dollar fund that was time limited. It went through uh, you know several rounds of um, you know application process and so on, and then a line is drawn under it. It, okay. is, it is specifically just for uh, you know the kind of COVID response. In, the, in this part of the year. All right, um, just it seems very convenient that it's a green school. But we'll leave it there, James. Um, thank, well, you, thank you very much for joining us again, and we will talk once again in uh, two weeks' time. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, have a great day. See you, mate. Cheers, mate. James Shaw, co-leader of the Green Party there. Hmm, Green School. Hmm. All right, coming up. All of our content lives online at r1.co.nz.